Welcome to the Love and Light Live podcast, empowering crystal lovers to learn and experience the art of crystal healing. Get ready to listen in and follow your soul calling with crystals. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for the Love and Light Live podcast brought to you by loveandlightschool.com. I'm your host, Ashley Levy, and this podcast is the number one place for all things crystals. In today's show, I'm sharing an interview with my dear friend and crystal author, Nicholas Pearson, to celebrate the release of his brand new book, The Crystal Basics Pocket Encyclopedia. We'll be discussing Nicholas's top five crystal recommendations for your crystal toolkit, plus you'll get to see a little bit behind the scenes of exactly what it's like when a crystal author is putting together a book like this, a little bit about the thought process and how the crystals are chosen for the book. We'll have a little bit of discussion on crystal ethics, which some of you may remember I've discussed with Nicholas on this show before. And I think this is such a great way to kind of pull back the curtain and see what it's like inside of the crystal publishing industry. And I also will share a bit about why I personally love this book so much. It is always a joy and a pleasure to get to chat with Nicholas. And by the time you're listening to this episode, I will actually be packing up to leave for the retreat that he and I are co-facilitating in Glastonbury in England to talk about the sacred stones of the landscape there. So we are co-leading a retreat called The Sacred Stones of Avalon, a crystal pilgrimage to reveal the grail within. And I am so, so looking forward to the two of us spending time together in England, teaching about crystals, getting to share some intimate in-person events with our attendees. And although this retreat is fully booked and sold out, if you would be interested in learning more about future retreats with us, you can head over to sacredstonesretreat.com and get on the wait list to find out about our upcoming events. So with that, I'll turn it over to our interview. I hope you enjoy and I'll be back with you in just a little bit. Discover how you can deepen your spiritual journey and follow your soul calling with crystals. The Love and Light School's award-winning crystal healing certification program opens soon. Go to crystalhealerschool.com. Hello and crystal blessings. Ashley here with the Love and Light School of Crystal Therapy, and I am thrilled today to be interviewing the amazing Nicholas Pearson, who most of you know from previous episodes of this podcast. You probably have some of his amazing books, and that's what we're largely going to be talking about today is crystals and some of the very best crystal healing reads out there, uh, which Nicholas has written. So Nicholas, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's it's been a while since we've done a podcast together. I was I was talking earlier today on Instagram about our our episode on ethical crystals, which I still refer people to like on a weekly basis. Um, I think that was the last time we got together for this. Yeah, I think you're right. Before that, we've talked about uh, Stones of the Goddess, your Stones of the Goddess book. We've talked about crystals for karma healing, but yeah, I think the last one was the ethical crystals chat, which was a really good one. So many people learned a lot from that, had a lot of takeaways. Well, hopefully we can give them some more fun today. 
I think we will be able to accomplish that. Um, well, I'm really excited about this because I have an early copy of your book, Crystal Basics Pocket Encyclopedia, that's coming out officially in early March, uh, but you can get it now from your publisher, innertraditions.com, and folks can get I've signed copies from you on Etsy, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll give all those links to people to make it easy. Now, I have to tell you, I got to see this book before it was ever in its paper physical form um, because you had me write a little blurb for the cover, which I love. Thank you for including that. Um, but I have to tell you, the thing that I loved about this book was it was so unexpected. It was so different than anything out there. You and I, we both have a lot of crystal books. I mean, I'm sure well over <laughs> a thousand between the two of us. Um, and there's not really anything quite like this book out there. There are some things that I really love about it that I'd like to share in a minute, but I'd love to know from you, what was kind of the thing that inspired you to create this book because it is so different and what do you find unique about it? Well, thank you for all that. I think, um, you know, I'm going to be really transparent. One of the reasons that I wrote this book is because pocket encyclopedias are popular. And transparently, I have a bunch and a lot of them don't necessarily meet all of my needs and crystal market changes. So, you know, a sample of a couple hundred or 400 stones from 15 years ago is probably different than the most popular stuff on the market today. So all books are a snapshot in time, but I think especially with a book like this, it's very much a snapshot of, of the here and now. So I wanted to have something that was a little fresher, a little more up-to-date, I wanted to go um, like broader coverage than I could do in Crystal Basics. There's so much meaty textbook stuff in that. I could only fit 200 crystals in. In fact, it was actually shy of 200 until very late in the game. We squeezed in four more to make a round number. And with the Pocket Encyclopedia, I wanted to do a lot of the opposite. I wanted it to be easy to navigate, um, portable. That was a big piece of feedback I got from the other Crystal Basics. And I wanted to create something that really stood on its own and felt not overwhelming because 450 is a lot of stones. It's it's a whole heck of a lot. And it's definitely not the most you're going to find in a pocket encyclopedia, but I think it's a really healthy number. And I, I just wanted to make it succinct. As they say, brevity is the key to clear communication. And I'm not always known for writing small things. And this was a really fun challenge to get there. I think you definitely accomplished all of those goals that you set out for because uh, truly it kind of ticks all those boxes. So for those of you who might have Crystal Basics for reference, here is the Pocket Encyclopedia. Now, I will say it's a nice little companion because it does have all those extra stones. Um, but as Nicholas was saying, there's a number of pocket guides out there, out on the market. Um, and I'll say they they are all lacking in one way or another. And you can tell that an avid crystal book reader wrote this. <laughs> you can tell that a crystal lover wrote this because it truly does have everything you want. It's organized in a nice way. The photos are, you know, they're there. You can see what the stones are. You can appreciate them. And the way that the information is laid out is really succinct, like you said, but also 
um, gives you everything you'd want to know in the moment from a pocket guide. I mean, you have chemical formulas, mineral hardness, crystal system, the formation process, the chakras, the correspondences, and then you have physical, psychological, and spiritual healing uh, properties. And in addition to all of that, for 450 crystals, there is this great introduction that really goes through how to work with stones. And I think you often find one or the other in crystal books. You find this whole litany of crystals with associated properties and things like that, which can be, you know, decent for reference, or you find more of a how-to book, but you don't often find both of those together. So what did you, how did you decide on what to include in that introduction? Like, why did you choose certain topics to share in this little pocket reference? That was honestly the hardest part for me, I think, other than just like narrowing down exactly the 450, because there are so many, um, but making sure that I had those intro chapters that were original content. I didn't want to recycle or rehash everything verbatim, but shorter from Crystal Basics. Yes, there's overlap. There's a reason their titles are similar. It's because they, they're part of the same family, but they really are standalone works. And I got some really important feedback from my editor early on in the editorial process. And she was considering how you can go to anywhere and find crystals and where you find them may not have guides to help you figure that out. And because of that, the kind of people who are coming into the crystal world may not have a background in metaphysics and spirituality and energy. I mean, if you can find crystal related products in Walmart and other places, then then obviously we're not all coming with built-in knowledge. So I had to kind of hone in on what is the most fundamental thing I can teach people in a, a few short paragraphs at a time. What can I do with this book to make it separate from Crystal Basics? How can I add value to every entry in here. So I'm not just having a shorter version of that. So the introduction of correspondences was really important to me uh, for that. So that way there was original input on all of the stones that were recycled. We added a bunch of tables and a couple of glossaries to it, especially thinking how would someone who doesn't know anything about energy healing or, you know, kind of metaphysical spiritual practice, what, what are words that they're going to need to know? And I went through and subtracted a lot of jargon so that way I wouldn't have a massive uh, glossary either. But really it's like, if I could only give you a few pages to teach you how to work with crystals, these are like the, the takeaways that I hope you will contemplate. I, I will ho also hope that you'll love them enough. You'll want to pursue them elsewhere and get more depth than I could put in a pocket encyclopedia. Um, so I was just there to kind of whet someone's appetite for it. You were so thoughtful and intentional about the, the creation process of this book, really every step of the way. And you and I had several conversations when you were in those kind of final stages of choosing, okay, which crystals go in, which ones do I have to leave out? You know, I want to kind of take that idea and touch back on something you said earlier, which is about how the mineral market is always changing, right? There are always new finds and then things that become popular, things that somehow strangely fall out of fashion, which I know a lot of people think this whole world of crystal healing is brand new, but you and I have been around for a while. We know there are things that have just kind of fallen by the wayside over the years and then things that make their resurgence. So, you know, 450 stones is a lot of stones, 
But how did you kind of determine which ones made the cut? How did you go through that process? And um, and how did the mineral market, if at all, kind of influence what you were choosing to showcase in the book? Yeah, this is a great topic. So, um, you know, first and foremost, I started with those 200 from Crystal Basics, and I kind of went through very methodically and said, which of these have have lived their popularity on the market. There were a couple things I thought were new and exciting that I added to Crystal Basics that like dried up like a flash in the pan. Um, and so they didn't make it into this. So it's not a carbon copy of those 200 plus 250 more. Um, and the other kind of paradigm that I used was to make sure that I could find things that I couldn't find in other books, things that were either popular in terms of the retail side of it, having worked metaphysical retail for a good number of years, you know, I get to see what comes in, what goes out, what people ask for. And I wanted to ensure that even if it was kind of hard to find, if there was buzz about it, like Rainbow Lattice Sunstone, I, I, to, to this day, I can't find a, a dedicated description of it in a crystal book so far. And if there is one that predates mine, I want to find it because I want to give people credit. Um, and there were a handful of other things like that. Of course, our old favorites have to be in there for that kind of foundational level knowledge. Um, and one of the one of the different directions I went in with this book than my others was to make sure I had room for common rocks because they will always be around. And they may never be popular, strictly speaking, but I wanted to, in a sense, I have this overwhelming desire, but but not a lot of know-how to make this happen just yet. But I, I really want to work on like decolonizing crystal work. And I know that that term is polarizing and means different things to different people. So I want to hold space for the complexity there. But among spiritual practices among energy medicine practices crystal healing is very uniquely market driven it is a uniquely consumerist approach you have to buy the tools the number of tools changes the quality of the tools changes and as someone who's been around for crystals a long time your taste tends to change and elevate as well so i i felt this kind of um ethical imperative to include things that won't cost people money because you could find them in your backyard or in your local park or as building material in your home. I mean, those things are crystals as well. Uh, the, the limestone beneath me is made out of microcrystalline calcite and it's really cool. And I keep some around the house because I love it so much. And there's there's a power to that. So I I kind of took several cross sections of what fascinates me and what I hope to do with the market, ensure our basics are covered, reflect changing market trends, and put things in there that require no extra monetary investment. So if you live in Granite Mountains, you know about the healing power of granite, and you can use that as a valuable and viable healing tool. So um, some more exciting things didn't make the cut, so I could make sure I had rhyolite and nice and marble and limestone and all these other things in there um, to, to work on that part of kind of hoping to de-consumerize some of what we do. That being said, I love things. I'm going to keep buying things. I can't help it. Um, so I'll keep buying rocks, but we've spent some time uh, away from home together recently. And wouldn't you know, I had rocks in my pocket that I found in public places the whole time. 
Yeah. And I, you know, one of the things that I really like about this approach, and this is something, you know, I've also had conversations about hearkening back to our ethical sourcing discussion and recent conversations as we've been planning our retreat together in Glastonbury. Um, you know, there's this way of, of the, how you do what you do, that you really elevate the humble stones that we find in our local landscape. Um, and I think that there's something so valuable about that because so often in the crystal healing world, which is consumers driven, as you mentioned, we're also, we tend to gravitate toward the most sparkly, the most colorful, the most shiny, the most, um, dare I say, like exotic looking things in a lot of ways, things that are coming from far away. And just as, and we talked about this in our ethical sourcing discussion, just as with our, the things that we eat, we may strive to eat locally. It makes a lot of sense to source some of our crystals locally, not just from an environmental standpoint and um, an ethical sourcing standpoint in other ways, but also because of the connection to the energy of the land that we live on or that we occupy. And so um, I find it really humbling and just pretty awesome that you've chosen to include some of these more common stones that we might be able to find around us because of that, because we should all know what's right out in our backyard. We should all know what we want to connect with. Yeah. You know, we, we often hear herbalists talk about how the most powerful medicines are the ones that grow in our backyard or the most timely and relevant herbal medicines are the ones we find in our local landscape. And I think the exact same thing is true of the stones. Oftentimes the, the magic we need, the energy we need is, is right there. It's under our feet. It's in the facade of our home. It's in the cobblestones that you take in downtown. If we stop and appreciate them, we often find pretty wonderful things. And you're hard pressed to not see me lagging behind a group. If there's a really nice granite countertop somewhere, um, my, my husband and my parents and I, we recently did dinner, uh, together and I picked the table we sat at based on which one had the most exotic mega crisps, like giant crystals in the granite makeup of the table. Um, so, and that's par for the course for me, but, you know, think of all those times we forget to acknowledge the humble stones in our landscape. Think of, think of how much potential is there because, you know, the definition of a rock is an aggregate of minerals. Minerals by definition are naturally occurring inorganic crystals. Rocks are made of crystals. Um, and I think the more we hold space for the humble stuff, and learn to appreciate what makes them exotic and wonderful and cool, then we also elevate our appreciation of those really fine mineral specimens we see at the Tucson, you know, fine mineral showcase and places like that. It's because I've gotten nerdy about the, the limestone beneath me or the blue lias, the limestone and shale strata that make up the, the landscapes of Southwest Great Britain where we're going or my appreciation for the metamorphosis of granites in certain parts of New England by just going and reading about them and, and seeing them. Now, now I have a whole new set of eyes that I use to look at my quartz and my calcite and all my other things with because there's crossover there. When we learn about one, it enriches the other. And I can attest to this firsthand because how many times while we were in Tucson did I look back toward the car only to see Nicholas hunched over in the parking lot looking at a stone? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> I, I have quartzite that I brought back. I have um, this little shale that has teeny tiny crystals of stuff I can't identify yet. I got to get some powerful magnification, but um, like little amygdaloids that filled with fluid and then crystallized in an otherwise soft, crumbly rock. That's really cool to me. So um, they have personality. And, you know, I think some of the most appreciated, I know I keep making the, the plant analogy, but you and I are also both plant people, so we get it. Um, I think some of the most reliable and trustworthy medicines in the standard herbalist toolbox are pretty humble things. They're not, they're not rare exotic stuff. It's it's stuff you could grow in your backyard. It's stuff that might be growing in your biome already. If it's not native, it might've gotten naturalized by accident. Um, and I feel the same way about rocks. And that's why in particular, one of many reasons why I should say, I'm I'm so excited for the upcoming retreat because we get to shift the focus toward the landscape and find mystery among the mundane. And my, my love of rocks and minerals has it's kind of like a, a crooked path. I, I veer towards really fine minerals. And then, you know, I find a really cool piece of granite and that's what I work with for three weeks. And then, you know, I shell out the big bucks for that rhodonite that probably shouldn't have come home with me and you're back and forth meandering. And I just want to encourage people to realize that whatever tools they have available to them are the right tools. You do not need all 450 rocks that are in this book. If you can make a, a small toolkit that is meaningful to you, even if half of the rocks are, we'll say, foraged, you probably have a really good toolkit as long as you get to know those rocks. You know, I think all of that passion and that um, variety of things that you're interested in when it comes to stones really kind of shines through from the pages of your book. So that is one of the things that I love about this, it purely just the variety of minerals that you've included which we've been talking about a little bit. So I'm wondering, is there anything that didn't make the cut that you really wanted to include, but, you know, for brevity, because a book, you know, it couldn't be a cube, it couldn't be a brick. <laughs> is there anything that you had to kind of cut? There was honestly, in my initial wish list, there was a lot that didn't make the cut, but I, I pared that down. Now, the shape of the book changed a lot in my, from my proposal. I, I went from, you know, one vision and then I was like, oh, what if I do a slightly smaller one and then make three of them? But but my publisher wasn't so keen on that. So it's like, okay, well, we're going to inflate again. And this time I'm going to ask for more than I originally asked for to make sure it's all in there. But still in that transition, you know, I went from, I'll do like 300 to three volumes of 200. And I came up with a list of 600 stones approximately. So obviously a quarter of that didn't make the cut. Some, some were just because they weren't exciting enough and others because... I wanted to just have room for other things. So let's talk about some. Um, I I like weird agates. So there are a few that either didn't make it because they were probably too costly for the average person or because I just don't think they're popular enough or in one case, they don't necessarily photograph well all the time. So um, bamboo agate didn't make the cut. They're super weird. They formed around organic plant matter and then... Well, that's long gone, but um, they're like these weird, almost pseudo-stalactites, but um, in favor of all the others that make the cut, uh, red fox, also known as crater agate, which is very, very slightly radioactive, nothing to worry about. You can handle it like normal and it's fine, but um, that one also didn't make the cut because I was over budget buying rocks, so 
I, I couldn't get another expensive rare stone for it. Um, there were a few that I think just specialty collectors know them well, but maybe the average collector less stuff like Clinozoicite and Glaucophane. Um, I, I wanted to have a couple different relatives of Labradorite in there under the Labradorite section, um, like this Midnight Blue material that came out of Madagascar a few years ago. And you still find it on the market. It's not super expensive, but it has a, um, a silver cat's eye effect in addition to the bright blue. And I thought we're never going to capture the depth of that in a still image the size of a quarter. So that one doesn't have to make it. Um, and, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I wrote up some of those B-sides that didn't make the cut and others were just kind of generally on the wish list. So, um, you know, Smoky Amethyst was one that got cut very late in the game. Uh, Condor Agate, Fancy Agate I took out because I've written about it more than once already. And there's some other just better resources that can go deeper in depth in it. Um, wind fossil agate is just not exciting on the market. And it's kind of a misleading name. There's no fossil about it. Um, and it's in one of my other books. We didn't make the cut. Alexandrite. I feel bad that Alexandrite isn't in there, but I just couldn't get a good one to photograph. So it didn't, it didn't get in by the deadline and I was able to give that away to another stone instead. So there were a handful that that were there that's so close and I just had to make room for others. You know what I like about this is it's like an insight into literally what it's like as an author trying to make these decisions and you know being mindful of the fact that okay some of these are are not very budget friendly for the average consumer. Some of these are not really commercially available. You know, they're very difficult to get a hold of. Um, but you still manage to capture a really good cross-section of what's out there. Um, if you had to suggest five crystals that are in this book that would be really good foundational stones for anyone's toolkit, they don't all necessarily have to be common, although some can be. What would your five crystals be? Because I'm just thinking, you know, this is such a great book for anyone getting started with crystals that if you wanted to kind of get your friends or your family into crystals, this will make such a nice gift and how cool to be able to give them like five crystals to get them started along with it. But also, you know, in case we're lacking in our own crystal toolkits on um, some of the good basic foundational stones, which five would you recommend? So when I... <laughs> I always struggle with these kinds of questions because part of my platform is not being prescriptive and like really thinking things through. But there's a caveat. What if we think about things that are really multifaceted and really heavy hitters? So um, I, I would like to kind of come at it from that approach. So, I mean, first and foremost, start with quartz. Quartz of any flavor, color, or shape of your choosing, but start with the quartz family. You're going to have a really broad spectrum kind of stone. If you've got clear quartz as your kind of foundational stone, I mean, there, there are more crystal books devoted to only working with quartz than there are just about any other specialized topic in crystal healing. And that is a really good testament to just how effective it is. I would also say, like my personal practice, my journey, obsidian is a really great foundation stone. It can be a little heavy to work with, but it has more than one face it can show us. And the, for lack of a better way to put it, the, the honesty of obsidian's energy, the way it just reflects things as they are underneath the surface, not as they are 
on the surface, but underneath it, it's like having that really honest friend. They have zero filter. There's no chill. But you're always glad when they speak their mind anyway. It might sting a little bit, but when you incorporate that feedback, you feel so much better because you know someone has your back. So much so that they're willing to have the uncomfortable conversation with you. So that's that's obsidian for me. Um, anyone who's listened to me talk about crystals for more than like five minutes at a time knows that I love rhodonite. So that's going to go on my list because I can scarcely go anywhere without it. Um, even if I don't wear it around the clock, when I travel, it comes with me. And I, I wear it through all the anxious bits of travel because so many of us, I think, in a fast-paced world, we need a little help slowing down and unwinding. And Rodenite works on my emotional state to help me accomplish just that. It keeps me a little bit more even keeled, uh, which is useful. And who isn't a little stressed out from time to time? So that's that's one of my favorites for that. So um, kind of shifting gears a little bit, another really broad spectrum stone that I think a lot of us would benefit from uh, would be Carnelian. Um, Carnelian got like really super hot on TikTok for just a small section of what it does, but I think is a really multifaceted stone. We can use it when we feel a sense of spiritual, emotional, mental burnout. We can use it when we need that creative boost. I like to use it when I'm stuck in a rut. It's like the the additional energy that overcomes inertia in whatever is happening. For that reason, it's sometimes used in like karmic and past life healing because it's overcoming the inertia of our karma to kind of, you know, learn when to step off the track kind of thing. You, you see the freight train coming, so like do something about it, energetically speaking. Um, and uh, I mean, it's just, there's thousands upon thousands of years of traditional uses for physical, spiritual, emotional healing. So it's it's a stone that does a little bit of everything and it does it pretty well. Um, and that should be four if memory serves. So for number five, um, I'm torn between two, but they're the same mineral species. So I hope you'll forgive me for cheating a little bit here, but I would say pick either aquamarine and or uh, emerald. Um, aqua has been a favorite of mine for a very long time, again, because it's so multifaceted. I think one of the deeper things that all barrels do, which is what mineral species these both are, is helps us get to the blueprint underneath things. So aqua is about letting go of the dust that inhibits your light from shining. That might help you communicate better. It might help you maybe take some risks and feel a little bit more courageous. It might help you learn to go with the flow. There's so many ways that can manifest. Um, but it's it's definitely a clarity kind of stone. On on the other side of that, um, emerald also works at this kind of blueprint level, but it does so from very specifically the heart's perspective. And you and I, we've we've got a lot we're going to be doing with emerald very soon, so I won't go too far into it. But um, my dear friend Sharon Britton, who's one of my favorite people in the crystal world, she phrases emerald this way. She says that it exalts the heart chakra. You know, when we use the chakra model, we often think about blocking and unblocking, and, and we don't go much deeper than that. But think of this idea of exalting the heart, even if we take the chakra bit out of it, but the core of who you are, core literally coming from Latin meaning heart, and to, to recognize how valuable your heart is, how valuable your heart space is, how all the things you're made out of follow a blueprint, and that blueprint is unconditional love. In other words, uh, another way to say this, Emerald reminds you that you are worthy of unconditional love without having to do anything. You don't you don't have to earn it, you just are. And that's a message we don't hear enough in today's world. So, you know, both of these barrels relate to the blueprint, but 
different manifestations of it. So I have a hard time choosing. Okay. Can I just say, I'm so glad that you included both (laughs) because I think they're both so important. Um, and kind of on that vein, I would love to go back to your very first recommendation, which was quartz. Um, because we have some listeners who are probably newer to crystals, right? Who might not know quartz is a family. We're not just talking about clear quartz. Um, quartz being silicon dioxide shows up in many different ways. Would you like to just tell everybody a little bit more and and what it like, is it, do you think clear quartz is the one they should go with? Or are you saying just pick something from the quartz family and it'll be like your buddy for number one? I mean, you've got options here. So let's, let's take a step back and look at how we actually differentiate mineral species. So a, a mineral, as we mentioned earlier, as I mentioned earlier, is a naturally occurring inorganic crystal. So a crystal is structurally considered to be something that has a regular composition. It's the same ingredients, more or less, through and through. And then it has the same kind of structure, the same shape. If you could, if you could look at how the molecules arrange themselves, you could connect the dots and make a geometric form out of that. And it's that same form over and over and over and over again until it fills all the space and you end up with a crystal. So um, in the case of minerals, crystals, mineral species, can have lots of different colors if we have just tiny traces of other stuff. It's not enough to change the formula. So geologically, they're still the same mineral species. So technically, There are two quartzes in my list because carnelian is considered a variety of quartz. Now, you can't see its crystals with the naked eye, so we call that crypto-crystalline from the word that means hidden, so hidden crystal structure, but it's in microscopic quartz crystals, and then some iron oxide. Um, That's your free gift for the purchase, um, I suppose. But um, with the quartz family, we have the macro-crystalline quartzes, the one whose shapes we can see, like this little Congo citrine that I'm holding up. And then you've got microcrystalline quartzes like uh, jasper, agate, carnelian, chalcedony, uh, flint, uh, and the like. So um, all of them, to a geologist, have the same ingredients, the same unit cell, or the same fundamental shape. And we can play with those. We can take the same fundamental shape and fill the available space differently. Are we filling it with one single solid crystal, like one beautiful transparent, flawless, six-sided prism that makes a quartz crystal? Or are we compacting lots of other crystals together? And we compact them together, there's room for other stuff to fit between the spaces, which is why we have so many colors of agate and jasper and and the like. But I would say in in this list, for the sake of argument, I'm picking a crystalline quartz, something that, that forms crystals. Now, you don't have to have a natural crystal shape. You can have a tumbled stone, a palm stone, you could have a crystal skull, a crystal pyramid, whatever you like to work with. Um, but any of those crystalline varieties of quartz with their varying degrees of transparency, depending on the quality we get, the, the difference between them, chemically speaking, is so minuscule. I had a, 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 an instructor in the geological world use this metaphor, and this is an approximation. Um, if you had a one-foot cube of clear quartz, perfectly transparent, no flaws, and you wanted to turn it into amethyst, for example, the amount of iron that you need is less iron than you have in the tip of a ballpoint pen. So wow. we're talking a few molecules. That's it. Um, so they're more alike, chemically speaking, structurally speaking, than they are different. So really from like the most basic level, they're all heavy hitters. They're all multifaceted. They're all good multitaskers. 
So if you find yourself drawn to clear quartz, do that. If you want smoky or amethyst or citrine or, or whatever, go for it. Um, but certainly clear quartz, not having extra ingredients is going to give us the broadest spectrum, which we also see, you know, when we use it as a prism, it makes that full light. If you take a natural piece in the sunlight and you play with it, you can find those little rainbows that appear um, as light passes through. You can do that with the other varieties, but it's it's not as resplendent as clear quartz. And I think that kind of signals the the specialization that the trace elements that give them their color provides. So with with plain old clear quartz, we get the most undifferentiated white light. It's it's just so much potential. So that's a nice place to start. But if you love amethyst, go there instead. Amazing. Nicholas, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. I love hearing about the process behind the new book, your suggestions for our five foundational minerals to have in our crystal toolkits. And could you tell everyone where they can find the Crystal Basics Pocket Edition, which is out now, um, and how they can get signed copies and stay in touch with you? Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. So um, by the time this airs, this will be available from every major and minor retailer. Go visit your local indie store. I know they love that. You can find it with all the big box stores in person or online like Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, but if you'd love a signed copy, I do have links on my website, which is theluminouspearl.com. It'll take you to my Etsy shop where I've got signed books available. Um, and if you'd love to stay in touch with me, find out when I'm doing more classes and workshops and other things, which won't happen immediately because by the time people hear this, I'm going to be on this wonderful adventure with you overseas. Uh, but I usually have a lot of things going on each month. So you can sign up for my newsletter on the website as well. And again, that's uh, www.theluminouspearl.com. Awesome. And you also have monthly masterclasses over on your Patreon and other events, and people can find those on your website as well. For sure. Great. Again, Nicholas, thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure. I can't wait for all of you to get a copy of this book in your hands. It is amazing. And let's be honest, it's pretty darling. So thank you again, Nicholas, so much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Ashley. And thanks for everyone who's listening. Until we see you next time, thank you so much for tuning in and crystal blessings. Well, that is it for my amazing interview with Nicholas Pearson. Again, a big shout out to Nicholas for coming on the show, for sharing his knowledge, for always being such a pleasure. And I do hope that you will check out his most recent book, Crystal Basics Pocket Encyclopedia. It really is a gem. Do you feel intuitively called to work more deeply with your stones? To grow your confidence, knowledge, and connection to crystal energy beyond what you can learn on your own? Our award-winning Crystal Healing Certification Program will take you from crystal lover to a confident, certified crystal healer and help you discover your soul's path and crystal purpose. Go to crystalhealerschool.com to learn more. And that is it for our show today. I hope that you really enjoyed the interview. If you want more information about anything I discussed in this episode, you can learn more over on the website at loveandlightschool.com slash blog. And if you did enjoy the show today, the biggest compliment you can give me is to leave a quick rating and a review over at loveandlightschool.com slash iTunes. 
And I'd like to give a really special shout out today to Jade B, who left a five-star review over on Audible. You can actually stream the podcast on Audible through Amazon now as well. And Jade says, five stars, love, love, love this podcast, highly recommend. Wow, I'm just blown away by Ashley and her wealth of knowledge and experience. I'm learning so much from her podcast episodes. I listen to it every night before I go to bed, my poor husband. (laughs) Ashley is so caring and genuine, and when I listen to the podcast, I feel as though I'm listening to a friend. I really look forward to hearing what the next episode has to offer. It's fueling my crystal obsession. Thank you so much, Ashley. Jade, this is so sweet. Thank you so much. And, you know, to all of you, I really literally read every single review that you leave. I am so grateful for them and so grateful to you for taking the time to leave them and help other people find the show. So if you have been enjoying listening and you can find just a few spare minutes to leave a rating and a review, it really goes a long way to helping other listeners find the show. And I'd also encourage you to make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss a future episode. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Love and Light Live podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Levy, and I'll be back with you next time. Until then, crystal blessings. The Love and Light Live podcast is a production of the Love and Light School of Crystal Therapy. Connect with us online at loveandlightschool.com or on social at loveandlightschool. The content provided on or through our website or podcast makes no claims for specific or general health or health results and should not be used to examine, diagnose, or treat any medical condition, prescribe medications, make claims for specific or general healing or health results, or as a substitute for traditional medical treatment. For medical advice, you should consult a licensed healthcare specialist. For more information, please refer to the terms of use on our website at loveandlightschool.com.